Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And my friends, one of the most prominent and important doctrines of Christianity is the teaching that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Most world religions have some kind of hope about life after death, but Christianity is the only world religion that offers real evidence for that hope and also carefully defines it. Christ not only taught the resurrection, he demonstrated it. In John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, all those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. Even non-Christians are aware that those who believe in Christ believe that he raised on the first day of the week following his crucifixion. The resurrection of Jesus is the basis for the Christian's faith and hope. For without the resurrection, it is just a wonderful story that ends at the grave. Take away the resurrection of Christ, and Christianity crumbles into nothing, because that would remove the very keystone upon which this great truth is built. The Apostle Paul wrote of the Lord's resurrection and tied it to our hope in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 13 through 19. In that passage he wrote, But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we witness against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. To put it another way, Paul declares that everything that is unique to Christianity is false and essentially worthless unless there is a resurrection from the dead. Let us think about the present day life and the life after death. The worldly-minded person lives primarily for this world. He reasons, as Esau must have, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. He cannot concern himself too much about what lies beyond the grave. He feels that it is foolish to be too spiritually minded. He does whatever he wants to do because he dwells only in the here and the now, in the material, in the physical. 
This kind of person measures success in terms of what he can lay up for himself on earth. And when he dies, he hopes that that is the end. Indeed, when the time comes, perhaps begins to realize that it better be, for he has made no preparation for what lies beyond. There are so many people who are not willing to look at the problem of death, the end of life on earth, and attempt to solve it. But for the Christian, the attitude is very much different. We realize that life is short at its very best, and eternity is certain. We know the truth of Psalm 90 and verse 10 that says, As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Centuries later, James wrote practically the same thing in James chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and also do this or that. The attitude of the truth and faithful Christian is summed up in the words of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16 and verse 26. He said, For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? My friend, when you think about it, if a person has an abiding hope concerning anything, he or she will arrange their activities so that their hope can be realized. Hope is such a powerful and driving force in the life of any individual. After stating that ultimately we shall be like Christ, John wrote in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 the following, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. But know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Nothing has more power to inspire people to righteous living than the hope of life after death. If we consider Moses, the basis for his making the right choice is pointed out in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26 There we are told, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. It was that very hope that inspired Paul to fight the good fight, finish the course, and keep the faith. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. Because of that, moving on down to verse 8, he wrote, In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. My friends, the hope of life after death motivates us to be pure. It serves as the anchor of the soul. That's Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 19. It sustains a sorrowing heart. That's John 14, 1 through 3. Indeed, Paul intimates in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 58 
that the hope of life beyond the grave helps to keep us steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? Because we know that our toil is not in vain in the Lord. The apostles saw the reality of life after death when Jesus was raised from the dead. And they used that as the basis of their preaching that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. Look with me at the emphasis of one of the most famous sermons in the scriptures, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 22 through 36, where he said, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of a godless man and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held on its power. For David says of him, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh will also abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt make me full of gladness with thy presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet, and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. The apostles were there. They were witnesses of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. They were willing to give up their lives for that truth. The only conclusion that can be logically reached is that they were telling the truth. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 19-21, through 21, when he wrote, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man came also the resurrection of the dead. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead, and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The apostles wrote about the resurrection. They knew that it was true, and they knew that Jesus was the first fruits, 
the first to rise, never to die again. With that being the case, they knew that, while all will be raised, faithful Christians will follow him into that eternal life after the grave. Just think of what awaits us. Someday all faithful Christians will follow the glory of Christ and share in his triumph in rising from the dead. Jesus Christ, by his resurrection from the dead, has made death to us but another incident in a never-ending life. It will be just as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is so much comfort to be found in this truth. There was a time when Jesus gathered with his apostles, the very night on which he was betrayed and arrested, and the process leading to his death began. Apparently, seeing their state of mind, their concern and their anxiousness, Jesus said to them these beautiful words in John 14, verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. How can we not feel at peace as we contemplate life beyond the grave? John wrote in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write, Blessed are the dead who die on the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow with them. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord. Well, why is that so? Let the Apostle Paul answer that question. Turn to Second Corinthians chapter 4 and we'll begin with verse 16 and read through chapter 5 and verse 1. Paul wrote these words, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent which is our house is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. God made promises to Israel that they would dwell in a land flowing with milk and honey, Exodus chapter 3 and verse 13 being one of a number of places. This was a figurative way of describing the beauty and bounty of the land. But because they did not keep his covenant of those to whom the promise was originally made, only two actually did enter the land. Looking at Hebrews chapter 3 verses 17 through 19 we find, And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned 
whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. In a very similar way, he has made promises to us under the New Testament, and so he warns us in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore let us fear less, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you should seem to have come short of it. In other words, God's promises to us are conditional promises, and we must do what he tells us to do through his word to enter into his glorious rest. Moving on down in Hebrews chapter 4 to verse 11, we find, Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall through following the same example of disobedience. We're not told a great deal about heaven, but we know that it exists. We are not told a great deal about our life beyond the grave, except to know that we will be eternally with God or eternally with Satan. If ever there was a no-brainer, this is it. When we live as he directs, we have his assurance that we shall live with him forever in that place called heaven. That is the hope, the assurance of the Christian. Let's close this with Hebrews chapter 6 verses 19 and 20. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast and one which enters within the veil, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us having become a high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. There is life after death, and you can think about it with anticipation and joy by being a Christian in this life. Thank you for listening.